0: The word that Jesus uses in verse seventeen, "abolish," in the new uh, in the English Standard Version, uh, is one of those words that varies from translation to translation. Even though most of them are pretty close to the same, "abolish," "destroy." Uh, The uh, the literal Greek, uh, as you look at the etymology of the word, is "lay down" or "throw down," "put down." Uh, And it can have different meanings depending on how it's found in the sentence. Uh, It's actually even used for provide lodging so that a person has a place to lay down. Uh, But uh, there's not an awful lot of variance in the way that it's translated in Scripture. I I went through uh, different translations this last week, and I found demolish and abolish or destroy are the primary ways that it's translated. Even though it can be, I found it translated undo, set aside, loose. Uh, The Young's literal translation has uh, put there throw down. Uh, It's not uncommon for a word to have different meanings. We understand that. We use words all the time that have different meanings. And we understand what is meant by the context of the sentence. Uh, Like break, it can mean to damage something. Or it can mean to have a time out, uh, to uh, stop an activity for a while. Uh, Or a rose, Uh, that can be a flower. Or it can be to stand up Uh, or even come back to life. Uh, uh, A pitcher, well, that's the guy that throws the baseball. Or it could be something that you fill with water or baseballs. Uh, We understand what it means by the context if we use that. It would be really odd to be filling up a pitcher that's on the pitcher's mount with water. Uh, It doesn't make sense. So we understand from the context what words mean. Uh, There are quotations uh, from this epistle. uh, There are quotations in the epistles that seem to contradict what Jesus says here. He says, I will not destroy the law or abolish the law. But we read other, uh, Matthew 17, or 5 verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, even uh, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like Jesus says, keep the law. Do all of these things. But then there are quotations in the epistles that that seem to be saying the exact opposite. Paul says that Jesus abolished the law. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, that is Jew and Gentile, into one new race, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by it having uh, put to death the enmity. Or the Hebrew writer makes the same point. And in fact, uh, very strongly saying that Jesus did away with the first law to establish the second. And that he couldn't establish the second, this covenant with him, without doing away with the old. Hebrews 10 verse 9. Then he had to Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. Now historically we say Jesus fulfilled the law. Keeping the loan, and not destroyed it. And by that we mean that, well, like a contract. He met all of the requirements, and so it's not uh, binding anymore because uh, it's been accomplished. Sometimes we'll liken it to a, a contracted or a bank note. We got that note, and when it's paid off, We didn't abolish it. We fulfilled it. We paid it full. And we say, well, Jesus paid in full our debt, uh, making the ultimate sacrifice for sin of humankind. And so now all of the requirements are met. The debt's been paid. And it's not in force anymore, even though the document might still be there. It's not in force anymore because it's been paid. But I think Jesus might have had something else in mind. He's been giving a new way of living before God. Not necessarily a new, but a renewed way of living before God. He's talking, well, we read the Beatitudes. We spent several months in the Beatitudes uh, about these who, the way a child of God lives. And last week, Kyle talked about being the light of the uh, world or or the salt of the earth, living acceptably before God. You see, the Pharisees had been accusing Jesus of breaking the law. Really, he hadn't been breaking the law at all. He had been breaking their traditions. They had all these traditions that fenced in the law of God. uh, And Jesus had broken some of their traditions. He lived in a very non-traditional life. But he didn't live in a life that broke broke the laws of God. You see, the Pharisees had built uh, a whole system of laws or, or traditions around the laws of God. Jesus tells his disciples that he had come to the earth not to throw down or disrespect the laws of God, but to keep them. And he did. He kept them without fault. He never sinned. He didn't keep the Pharisees' traditions. Notice in verse 20, he says, Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You've got to live better than they have. And then the rest of this chapter, he is redefining fulfillment of the laws of God. He says, this is what you've been heard, but this is what God intended. This is what real righteousness is. This is how you really should be keeping these laws of God. Not the way the Pharisees have taught you, but this is what God wants from you. People have always been changing the laws of God. The Pharisees weren't the first and definitely weren't the last. I think probably they were uh, sincere when they started. They... The Jews had a history of breaking the will of God. That was uh, what most of the Old Testament is about. What most of the prophets talked about. How they kept breaking the laws of God. And so the Pharisees wanting to keep the law of God built a fence around the law. Their traditions. Their idea was we'll break these traditions long before we break the laws of God. So as long as we keep our traditions then we'll not have a problem with keeping the will of God. The problem was that they began to think that their traditions were just as, or maybe even more important than the laws of God. And and they pushed their traditions instead of what God had really wanted. But the laws of God had not been remade by the Pharisees. They may have thought so, but the laws of God had not been remade. And we cannot remake the laws of God either. Sometimes we want to, we build traditions, and and we we begin making up rules and regulations ourselves, thinking that they are just as important, but they're not. Uh, Most of the time, however, today, we're not trying to make them more restrictive. (laughs) We're trying to make them less restrictive. Uh, uh, Most of those messing with the laws of God today are going in the opposite direction. Uh, today's world denies God's morality and truth. They don't try to make it stricter. What God has called sin from the very beginning and even still, people today are, well, they're saying it's an alternative lifestyle or it's a choice or it's personal freedom or uh, it's my right Uh Or it's really none of your business, so leave me alone. (laughs) Some today make an effort to change what the Bible says. And that should disturb us when people are trying to redefine or uh, to tell us that the Bible says what it doesn't say it should also disturb us today when people start making excuses for the bible saying well this is just a different time a different age and and we've been understanding the bible incorrectly because it was written for a particular people in a particular time and and uh, for that culture and it doesn't agree with today's culture well there is some cultural understanding that's needed when we read the bible but commands are commands, whether they were written years ago or whether they were written last week. And then a large part of the people in this world, just ignore what the Bible says. They don't care. They say, it's irrelevant. I don't really believe. And so it doesn't matter what the Bible says. They're not really trying to change what the Bible says. They just don't care what the Bible says. Uh, and. But most tragically, the majority of the people in the world today just don't know what the Bible says. And no one's telling them they're not reading it, so they'll never know what the Bible says. They'll never know what God says is right and wrong, true and false, moral and immoral. We live in a generation today where the laws and traditions of morality and righteousness are being made with no real understanding of what does God say. We need to know what the will of God is. We need to know what's true and what's wrong. Jesus lived a sinless life. And so if we look at Jesus, we'll have a sense, or we'll have, we should have an understanding of what is right and wrong, what is true and false. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's why He could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin, because He was condemned unjustly. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can be righteous because the sinless Lamb of God paid the penalty of our sin. Peter wrote, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So to be the perfect sacrifice, Jesus had to be the perfect person. He didn't sin. Jesus states very specifically here in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17 of, uh, of Matthew 5, he had no intention of breaking God's law, of violating The will of God. He emphasizes that no one should throw down or break or ignore the will of God. Uh, It was binding until it was fulfilled or, or accomplished. It is true, and we've always understood this correctly, that once Jesus fulfilled the law and became the perfect sacrifice... That the obligation to offer those sacrifices to keep the law of Moses is now uh, finished, accomplished. We don't need to do that because his one sacrifice is sufficient for all ages. And we are now under grace, not the law of Moses. But God still has expectations of righteousness and truth and justice for all of us. What was immoral then is still immoral and we need to remember that. Jesus did not abolish morality. Sin is still sin. God still expects us to live as faithful children. In the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about different things. He he talks about uh, what used to be sin, or how they used to understand sin but how God really wants sin to be seen or or understand what is sin. And he says, your righteousness needs to be better than that of the Pharisees. So instead of loosening morality, making it more permissive, he actually makes it more restrictive. The Pharisees have been measuring things by their own standards, really by outward appearance. Uh, Their measuring rod was misshaped or or too short, wrong. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, or scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the difference today is our heart. The Lord wants us to be righteous from the inside out, He wants our heart to be right. To be true, most of us don't sin very much. I don't know about all of you, but most of us sin very little. Uh, Hardly any intentionally. Our intention is to live an obedient life to God. Uh, We want to serve the Father in heaven we will sometimes admit to a few sins of omission. Well, I didn't do that, and I should have. And I didn't do that, and I should have. But uh, for the most part, we live fairly good lives. I mean, none of us are drunkards, and we're not thieves, and we're certainly not like that tax collector over in the corner. But the unfortunate truth is that when we do sin, And we do. It's hard for us to come back. And so a lot of times our sin are somewhat secretive in that we believe few people know. And In fact, that might be true. Hardly anybody knows. And if it does become discovered... It almost always means our ruin because we are too egotistical to ever admit our sin and come back. We just leave. We stay in the grips of Satan, forever ruined, forever in his clutches. That is so tragic. We need to hear the word of the Lord on righteousness we need to be very, very careful. You see, Satan wants to tempt and entice us. He's always been doing that. He's always been trying to. He, first of all, he, he tries to convince us that sin really isn't sin. Or if it is sin, it's worth it. That's what he's done from the very beginning. That's how he tempted Eve. Remember, he told her, you're not really going to die. God's lied to you. And he said, and it's really good. (laughs) You ought to try it. It tastes so good. Genesis 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate the fruit she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Look at how pretty it is. It's going to make me wise. It's not going to kill me. Uh, and it looks so good. Jesus, uh, Satan tried the same thing with Jesus. They're in the wilderness. Aren't you hungry? You've got the power. Turn these stones into to bread. Oh, you want to rule the world? I can give all the kingdoms of the world to you. All you have to do is worship me. Remember, God said that he wouldn't let any harm come to you. Jump off the, uh, the point of the temple here. Uh, the angels will catch you. Prove to yourself and everybody else, you're the son of God. Temptation, by the way, Jesus didn't fall to the temptation. He remembered the word of God, and each time Satan tempted him, he said, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God in vain. A man doesn't live by bread alone. I worship the Lord and Him only. But temptation lures us away from God. It begins by causing us to doubt God's Word. And it touches the innermost parts of us uh, of a desire to taste or a desire to hold or a desire to have. And even though we say we don't want to do it, we wind up doing it anyway all realize that, Romans 7, for we all know that the law is spiritual, and but I am flesh sold into the bondage of sin, for what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Sin captures us. We've got to be really careful not to get caught. And if we play with sin, sooner or later, we're going to get caught. Sin traps us and enslaves us. And if we get left in sin, well, we're going to die in sin. But still, most of us just don't seem willing to leave sin alone. We keep playing with sin, dabbling with sin. Uh, We'll be free only in Jesus. I want us to understand that. had a bag up here. Some of you may have noticed it. Some of you might not have noticed it. But, but uh, you might have been wondering what that is. It's uh, my temptation bag. And, you know, there can be all kinds of things for each one of us in our temptation bag. And, uh, and you know, well, you know, there might be, well, a computer screen or uh, a bottle uh, Are container pills, are pictures of some, uh, but this won't hurt anybody right here. You know, especially since it's not set. It can't hurt anybody, anything. It's just perfectly harmless. It, uh, you know, we can, we can be around it, touch it, look at it. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's only going to hurt you if it gets set. You know? It, and now it's got that. But, but as long as I stay away, it's not going to hurt me. You know, it's there, but... Uh, uh, it's not going to hurt me. Uh, you know, if you get around it, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not going to hurt me because, well... By the way, this is Bob. It's my, my pencil's name. He's a good friend of mine. I use him uh, quite often. Uh, uh, Bob might come over around and he might... He, he might play around with sin... But I don't tell Bob anything about this because, well, you know, that's Bob's business. I don't want to interfere with Bob's life. Uh, and, you know, it's his life. And besides that, if I say something to him, well, he might get mad at me. And I don't want Bob to be mad at me. I don't want to. So, so I leave Bob alone. And even though Bob is playing around with sin and, and, and so forth, I stay out of it because, well, it's Bob's life. And... Uh, Bob got broke because Bob played with temptation and now sin has broken his life. And that happens every time we play with sin. But for whatever reason, we don't seem to get the message. Because after all, we're, we're here on Sunday morning. In fact, most of us were here last week. And we plan on being here next week. And we're not ever going to get caught or we're not ever going to be... Prob- uh, it's, it's just not going to be a problem for us because we know better. Hmm. There. I thought I broke the trap. But... We find ourselves still playing with sin and we think because we know better we'll never get caught. But every time we play with sin we get caught by it. You can't play with temptation and expect to Always escape without getting caught. Don't play with temptation. Don't play with sin. (sighs) Peter wrote, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Don't play with sin. The tempter promises fun and freedom and joy, but he delivers slavery and destruction. When we get caught in sin, our life will be broken and destroyed. Every time I've done, not once has the spring missed my finger. And it won't miss yours either. Not if you play with sin. The choices you make today will be with you for the rest of your life. We have forgiveness in Jesus. But we'll still face the consequences that we make. We'll still... We can celebrate those freedoms. But what happens to us on this earth will still be the result of the actions that we've done Words cannot be unspoken. Virginity cannot be regained. We'll never recover the time lost or the, the f- monies lost in drunkenness and drugs. You can't recover the time you spent in jail. Broken relationships will probably never be restored when your past catches up with you make sure you can welcome your past with open arms because our past will catch up with every one of us our righteousness needs to be greater than that of the Pharisees our heart must be a spring of from god it must be true jesus fulfilled the law remember he lived without sin and he became the perfect sacrifice for us. The Hebrew writer said that when Jesus had offered for all time a, sacri- a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected all, uh, for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus can set you free from the spiritual consequences of your sin. He's offering salvation to all of us. If you need to respond this day, let me encourage you to respond to Jesus. Let me encourage you to remove the eternal consequences of your sin and be made righteous in Jesus. Become a child of God. Be baptized into His name for the remission of your sins. We encourage you to respond while we praise God in song.